As a Papuan Australian woman, I want to start this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I live, work and create on. The podcast, Our Women, Our Stories, is created on tourable land and I pay my respects to their elders, those who have left us, those who are with us today and those emerging elders we are yet to meet. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This has always been and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello listeners and welcome to episode three of the podcast, Our Women, Our Stories. This podcast is a sub-phase of the Australian Council of the Arts funded project, Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories. In this episode, I shared space with three beautiful and fierce Aboriginal artists and businesswomen, Marley, Ginny and Delene. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. We explored the different ways our cultural backgrounds and heritage have brought us into the arts field. Arts as a form of cultural healing through grief, the bushfires that devastated lands in 2019 to 2020, arts being used to revive lost knowledge, and these are just a few examples. This was such a beautiful conversation and I feel so honoured to have listened to the stories of these aunties and mothers. Let's get straight into the conversation. It's been broken up into four 30-minute segments and I promise you're going to be captivated from start to finish. Introducing our first podcast guest, Regina Jones commonly known as Ginny, the founder of Ginny's Girl Gang. Let's hear from her now. So I'm Ginny. I'm a proud Gomoroi woman. Family are the Knoxes, McGrady's and Kelly's from a little place called Tumula Mission. And I run a business, a little kind of like a jack of all trades kind of business. I have my hand in very a lot of different jars called Ginny's Girl Gang, but for the most part, I think people will know me because of the jackets that I paint. I exist to, I guess, empower mob in all areas of life, if that makes sense. And also, I mean, with a strong focus on Black women um, and just trying to create a space that is positive and negates negativity and is just for us, whatever that looks like. Um, that's that's me. The second person in our conversation was Marley Morgan, who has founded her own business, Barefoot Wandering. This is her now. My name is Marley Morgan and I'm the owner of Barefoot Wandering Photography. I'm a proud Gradry and Gamilaroi woman. I grew up on Uwalaroi country and Lightning Ridge. My mob is the Morgans and the Coes. I, I would describe my business as being a visual storyteller. I love capturing my culture and learning as I'm meeting different mobs and photographing them on different country. I'm also a mother of three boys. So when I'm not photographing, I'm tending to them. And also at the moment, we're learning Gumbangia language where we currently are living and we're learning Gamilaroi Uwalaroi language. Learning about language and culture and what also capturing is what I'm very passionate about. And last but certainly not least, Auntie Delene Briscoe, who is a well-established musician in the Australian music scene who, as she will tell you later, has just co-founded the business Gabba Music. Here she is now. I'm a Gugi woman from far north Queensland. Uh, my name's Delene Briscoe and um, I have connections to the Daintree, the Mossman Gorge area and Wujal areas up there. Uh, and I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, um, events producer, 
composer and um, mother. <laughs> so um, all of that keeps me busy. I'm pretty um, happy with the way things have, you know, the ebb and flow of life and career and children um, and just cruising along with that. Um, but yeah, so that's me in a nutshell, like really simply put. <laughs> These are the three women in this conversation space, and before we begin, a warning to listeners and those of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent, we do share stories of those who have left us and advise that some topics discussed may be distressing to audiences. I ask you to take care while listening. Already what I knew when entering this conversation is that you all um, wore many hats in your community and in your arts as well. And I was wondering if you could all share with me, maybe we'll go in that same order, and we'll go Jimmy, Marley and Auntie, and just feel free to feel free to jump in anywhere. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your work as an artist, as a businesswoman, and with those many hats, and what really drew you to this field? Yeah, I think for me... Um, it's in our DNA. I've always felt like black followers were destined to be artists because that's all we've ever been. I mean, amongst other things, but I think that that's where we really shine. I was heavily influenced by my great uncle, um, Reginald Knox, who's, who's, who was an amazing artist. And I grew up, um, watching him paint all the time, just constantly and him teaching me, um, you know, language words as, as, as he drew what he was, you know, coming up with. And it was just so beautiful. And um, I always just thought I want to be just like Uncle Reg. And, you know, he, I remember him coming to our primary school and painting a mural. And it was the first time that I felt comfortable sharing with all the other kids at school who I was and my Aboriginality in a way that felt like, you know, I could brag he was this old follower and he was the most amazing painting, <laughs> painter that a lot of these kids had ever seen. And the way that he spoke about what he did was just with so much love and passion that all of these other kids were so interested in who I was. And, you know, even now, some of my friends that I have from primary school and high school go, I, I remember Uncle Reg and he came and did, the, did that mural. And I get really excited. I used to work in the education um, system as well. And I think there's so many schools in Queensland in particular that have Uncle Reg's murals that every time I go to school and I know that there's one there, you know, it feels safe. It feels a little bit like home. So for me, it was just a real natural um, progression into into painting and, and then being able to, I guess, come up with a different, a, a spin on what, what my skill was going to be you know what what the, what I brought to the table that was maybe a little bit different and um that's how I, I guess I got introduced into working in fashion and you know an extension of painting and an extension of um activism and that by just living and existing that we are works of art ourselves and and walking canvases and yeah I guess that's how I got into this realm of work. I love the way you're um, describing that uh, when your uncle was painting and saying them language words. You know, I think that people, um, our elders, they know the way that they're planting them seeds 
and, mm. and we do it instinctually too. It's something that I feel like um, I did with my nan, things like, you know, sitting around doing the weaving and um, and she'd be yarning with stories at the same time. It's like we yeah. said, it's really natural. It's just a part of our um, culture and existence and being. I love yeah. that. Mm, yeah, that was really beautiful to hear. It's that symbolism as well, isn't it, that you walk into a space and you see something that is reflective of you and you just feel safe automatically. Um, Auntie, maybe we'll go to you and if you could tell us a little bit, yeah, about how did you enter the industry? Um, <clears throat> I was really young. I um, grew up in far north Queensland and uh, I remember always singing in church because my dad was a preacher. And um, when I was about 17, my sisters and I, we sang together a lot at NADOC, you know, local NADOC in Cairns and things like that. And so, you know, we really um, built our careers off of community support and them wanting to hear, we were writing songs um, <clears throat> about our everyday struggles. And um, when I was 16, I started to, like, we grew up with a bit of language in our home, but I come from two generations of stolen generations and so my mum wasn't allowed to speak her language from the age of four when she was taken. And so we had bits and pieces of it. Um, but when I was 16, my, we started spending more time with my nan. Like we spent a lot of time with our family, but she came and stayed with us for a while. And so um, I started learning more like phrases. So I wrote, uh, I wrote my first song in Google Yalanji when I was 16. And <clears throat> That's been the foundation of uh, my career as, an, as a performing artist uh, since then. That was, you know, um, holy crap, that's a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but um, <clears throat> over 30 years ago now, or 20, I can't even do the math at the moment. But, yeah, <laughs> it's like too long. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but, yeah, and so I, we got a lot of um, gigs singing because the three of us together it was magic uh we but we all had brought something different to uh the songs and but the story we were telling was really relatable because we we lived that life the same as all of our cousins and and family so <clears throat> we were so i i really started um gigging when i was 17 and i kind of haven't stopped. I think COVID's the only time I've really had a break <laughs> from um, from touring. But it's you know that's how I got into the industry was uh, starting to you know our community singing in our community events, going to the um, old people's homes with my dad, singing for all the elders, going up to the hospital, singing for all the sick mob. You know our mob that are sick up there. So um, we started from a really uh, I think humble place. And, uh, you know, I want to continue that with my kids and um, the other kids that come after them. Well, I originally started um, around four years ago. I've always had a passion for photography, but I've just never been able to afford one. So I've always had, like, disposable cameras or pol Polaroids. And after I um, had my first son, I just felt really lost. I was struggling with postnatal depression and I just didn't have anything or any kind of way to express myself. I had a lot of emotion built up and I felt really failed by 
my counsellors and just everyone. So I saved enough, bought a camera and I found photography to be just a really good emotional release. It was um, quite healing, learning and being able to express myself. I come from a really long line of artists and singers in my family. There are a lot of creatives, whereas I, I kind of felt lost. I didn't think I had any kind of skills, whereas my uncle could express himself through painting and my cousins. We had singers, songwriters. But um, finding photography, that's where I felt I belonged. That was my place and just being able to get out in community and meet others and hear their stories and and capture them was really um, healing for myself also. And connecting back with culture, I feel like I got really lost for quite a few years with um, postnatal depression and culture. Connecting with that, with photography and community has just done wonders for me and now through my photography, I'm able to help others with mentoring and I've, I've made some really good friendships. So it's good to be able to, to give back through my business and the connections I've made. And being a UL or a Rodri woman, we do come from a long line of storytellers. So I think just having that in my bloodlines just helps and having my camera as a creative release yeah, maybe we can, just going off that point of art as a form of healing, um, is there a particular um, story that you can think of or a time that you can think of where art has been healing for either yourself or for community? And maybe that delves a little bit more into activism as well. Um, but, yeah, feel free to just take some time just to think about that. I think there's a, a clear moment in my life that I felt just like everyone else in here, like coming from a long line of creatives and artists, there was a point in my life that I was like, you know, previous to my my current business, I was, I've always painted. Started, I guess, seriously getting into painting and selling my work when I was about uh, 18. I did an exhibition in Brisbane, my first exhibition, and it was really deadly. It was like a moment where I was like, wow, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and it felt like, what I was meant to do with my life or how I would continue to tell the stories that I've been told in a different way and sharing culture with with other people but my aunt passed away when I was um 22 and so up until then I'd painted uh all the time and and was selling my work and you know she was a massive influence in my life um and my only aunt on my mum's side of the family so super important just like a, a mum to me so when she passed I think it really made such an impact on my family and we're all women in our family there are men but <laughs> there's not many men they're very outnumbered in our family we're very matriarchal we we wear the pants and we run the show for the most part she was very much that woman for us like under my grandmother she was you know steering the wheel so to speak and so it was such a massive loss for us and we couldn't afford you know black fellas we didn't have funeral insurance or any of these things that we you know I guess you should be thinking about and um she was so young as well it was such, such an unexpected loss for us 
um, that we sort of were like, how are we going to afford this funeral, you know, and pull this together? And we all decided that for our, for we knew that for her it would be like, let's not make this about money, you know, like mm-hmm. she was never the sort of woman that would have wanted the grandiosity of like this crazy, you know, funeral or whatever. And so I just said, well, how, why don't we get the, the casket be the small, like the cheapest one. It was literally a box. And I was like, but we just paint it, you know. I think she would have appreciated that we sat and thought about her in those in that time um and it was the weirdest thing ever getting a casket delivered to the house and sitting in the garage and just being like sitting you know with those feelings of such a you know everything slowed down for a second you know we were able to catch our breaths and I think think about the good times and you know what her life meant to us um and so for like you know 12 no, it must have been longer than that. 18 hours we just sat and painted and cried, just us girls in the garage painting and crying and painting stuff and then crying. <laughs> and it was such a um, release for us. And I think that that was a one time in my life that I really think, I mean, there's or so many other times that I think art and creativity is, it helps mob in so many different ways. You know, I, I really feel like it's, it is one of the best outlets for us all. But um, that was definitely a point in time that I think the art sort of helped me move through something that was really, really sad and really, really, you know, a horrible time in our lives. But we were able to come together and do something that I think our ancestors would have done, you know, and that real grieving process that I think sometimes we just don't get to have um and so yeah I actually stopped painting after that because I was so exhausted and drained I stopped painting um for years until I actually moved to the U.S. and even now I think um how you know I'm a big believer in that everything happens for a reason and then me moving to the U.S. and feeling so far from home now getting back into art because that was how I was going to continue to connect back home here. Um, so, yeah, I think that was probably a huge moment of, of healing for me through the arts. Wow. Yeah, I love that story, sis. It's like um, I think, yeah, for a lot of us, uh, when, we, when we don't grieve together, we carry that trauma for longer than we need to mm. and that that's so important like um all grieving together it's not um done enough you know everyone's going back to their busy lives and forget about uh, that process now nowadays because i work a lot in language and it's about um you know music song story language and the one thing I noticed, like in all of our communities, there's so um, there's many different factions in the community. There's one family does one thing, another family does another thing. They don't like each other or whatever. We all have it in our families and communities. Uh-huh. But one thing that crosses those barriers is is the arts. And um, and I was really fortunate to when I was living in Melbourne and working with all different mob down there is that I could move between all the different factions 
and all the different families and clan groups um, as an artist and bring them all together as well, despite any of their differences. And so um, I was working with Ilbidiri Theatre um, to bring together a ceremony that hadn't happened for over 205 years. And um, they brought me on board and I listened to the old, because, you know, uh, as a musician and singer, the biggest um, part of my job is listening. And so I listened to some of the old recordings and started to work with the different clan groups and language groups to, um, they had stories written in English, but they didn't have any songs for them stories. And so I worked with them to create songs for this ceremony. And all them stories come from this ceremony. And it connected all of them groups, despite any of any, you know, land claims or anything like that. Nobody even, that didn't even come into the conversation. When you mm. put culture as the cornerstone of what you're doing, um, any of that um, whitefella law doesn't apply. Mm. And it can't, like those, that's where the arts just, it trumps all the time, you know, pardon. <laughs> pardon me sorry that's a swear word um, <laughs> but um I don't think we can use that anymore um but yeah so I mean for me I've seen how those communities the healing in those communities even in one family just to have one song in their language that they can pass on from generation to generation um is it's uh, it strengthened that community so we went from having maybe 10 people from each community um being participating to 50 people plus by the third year and they all were then they created a like they created all these ceremonies on country um making all of the emu emu feather skirts making all of their um dance all of the, you know, the clothes that for dancing, all of the um, boomerang, whatever they use to make music, possum skin. And so from this one idea to bring this ceremony back to life, all these other ceremonies were um, were awakened. And um, and I saw the healing in, that, in those communities, like just how none of them in those three years not there's a lot of um there's a lot of trauma that and an emotional uh journey that people have to go through when they don't they're still grieving the loss of their 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 country and their culture mm. and so coming to a place where we want to do this ceremony let's all do the ceremony and then people have to go through this whole process of wait i don't have any language hold on we don't have any songs and grieve that and that's why it takes some time for our mob to get to that place where we can um, feel feel um, um, more connected with our own culture because it's been robbed of um, it's been robbed from us for so long. So yeah. that's one thing I think. That was one example um, of where I saw the healing. Just it was one, you know, one song for each mob, and just how it just rippled out into the whole community. And by the end of the three-year project that I was part of, um, there was like so there was five clan groups, fifty in each clan, two hundred fifty people. Starting with fifty people, you know, that were learning these songs, and they and and then now they've got this whole process of 
you know, months leading up to, they all come together to make all of the um, the skirts and all of the things. So just, and it's, that was um, like nearly 10 years ago now. And mm. it's just going from strength to strength. And now they're all um, doing ceremony on their own countries. Um, there's all these, uh, you know, and I just think about how that was the power of the arts to break mm. down all the barriers any family friction or um, or any confusion over land claims or whatever just was you can't it it doesn't exist when it comes to the way that we share our art and um and our stories it's comes back to that strength of culture it it wins it always wins anyway that's um that was my that that's what i thought about when i thought about um an experience of um, where arts healed, but it healed like a massive community and I'm, I'm really proud to have been invited to be a part of that. So that draws part one of this episode to a close and if you want to continue hearing the conversation, please listen to part two of this episode. I'll see you there.